Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters. Along with me today from the Zamboni Company is Marty Elliott. Today, we're going to be having a fireside chat with Dan Regelman, who's the vice president of Rydell Skates, along with one of his sales reps, Ron Griffin. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having us. This is, uh, this is a treat, actually. I've never done this, and it's pretty cool. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, how you guys both got your start in the industry. Danny, can you uh, fill us in first as to how you got your start in the skating world? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, pretty much born into the business. Um, I actually uh, skated and played hockey um, when I was a youngster. My grandparents were very influential on that uh, as they were um, the owners and operators of Rydell Skate Company. Um, I played, uh, played hockey up until my first year Bantam. Um, and then I, I, as many young men do, I discovered other things that uh, kind of piqued my interest, anything from cars to girls to maybe going out and kind of gave up the game for a while um, and then got heavily into skiing. And my, my uh, desire at that time, as soon as I graduated high school, I was going to move to Colorado, be a ski bum and work. Um, but my parents and my grandparents both had different ideas on that. I wasn't much of a college-bound individual. And uh, so I graduated high school on a Thursday and started making skates on a Monday. Um, been doing that ever since. Um, you know, I've, I've learned uh, the business from basically, I believe, the ground up. I worked in our maintenance shop when I was in high school. I was a custodian during my school time. And then shortly after, I went into production, worked six years in production, up through different levels of, uh, of supervisory and management and into ownership. And, uh, you know, in a nutshell, that's where we are today. Um, it's been 44 years, and it's been awesome, just fantastic. Well, it's nice of your grandparents to give you that long three-day weekend, uh, <laughs> along with your parents, to get you regimented and ready for the, the work world. That, that's good. It's, it's a good thing, though. Well, actually, I think I had to come in on Saturday and sweep the floors and clean the bathroom, so I really didn't have those three days. But, you know, good thought, though, Doug. It's a it's a good lesson, and it's it's probably served you well over the years. I know when I was growing up, uh, having people that uh, were looking after me to make sure I was doing the right thing certainly didn't uh, didn't bode badly for me. Yeah, true. I'm sure. You know, I, you know what I was just thinking. You and I probably played against each other. Is either maybe a Bantam or a Peewee, because um, where were you out of St. Paul? It's Minneapolis where, Roosevelt. Minneapolis. Oh, no, no, you guys were yeah. you guys were too too high on top of our league. <laughs> well, and I think you got a couple of years on me. The, the, a few gray hairs <laughs> and, a, and a couple of years on me, Danny. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> we didn't say uh, this was going to be easy. This podcast <laughs> and painless. You didn't say it was going to be painless. No. Exactly. Ron, how about your story? Can you fill us in on uh, where you got the, your start into the rink industry, please? Yeah, I, uh, I kind of came from a skating background. My mother and her sister and her best friend were in the, um, before it was the ice capades, called the Hollywood Ice Review. So when uh, she came off the road and started a family, my dad opened up a corner store. And we moved to a suburb uh, of Detroit in the early 60s. And they were just building an ice rink, and my mother became the uh, skating director for the parks department as, when the new rink opened. And we ended up, uh, at the time, we were selling Rydell skates out of our living room because there was nowhere to buy skates back at the time, and she was trying to grow a program. 
And when my dad had, he had over 20 years in the automotive industry, and he took a flyer and opened a corner store, and the skates moved out of our living room into the store, and um, I was involved from that point forward. Uh, I had three sisters that skated competitively, so I got into hockey at a young age. Started working for my dad as a, you know, sweeping floors and cleaning toilets and stocking shelves. Our basement in our house was a warehouse. And uh, he'd call, you know, and say he needs this and this pulled, and I'd have it out in the garage, and some some would come home, pick it up, and take it back to the store, and they'd sell it. So I was involved from a pretty early age. I uh, went away to school, and uh, when I got done with school and my playing career, uh, my dad needed some help at his store, so I worked for a couple years there and became a rep in 1986 for an apparel company. And then in, uh, they had some financial issues in the mid-'90s, and I was looking for work, and I'd known the, the Riggleman family for years, you know, through our relationship, selling skates in our store. And uh, I called up, and they were just starting to transition away from distributors and looking to hire uh, independent reps. And uh, that's when I got involved with Rydell back in the mid-'90s. That's awesome. Danny, I was lucky enough for you to give me the dollar tour. Uh, when I was through town, I think in February, before all this um, wonderful world we're living in today struck us. Can you give us a little bit of the history of the company? I know it was very interesting to me how it got its start and, and what it's like. And you guys are a true family-run business in, in a success story in the state of Minnesota. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the family and the history in the skating world. You know, our, our business started uh, pretty much out of a, of a need, uh, very similar to the Zamboni Corporation as well. Um, I think there's some direct parallels to that. But my grandparents started our, our business, actually, they started in 1945. But prior to that, um, they were from a, a small little Minnesota town about an hour south of here called Winona. And um, during the, uh, you know, the early 1900s, uh, the, in the 1920s and so forth, uh, you know, jobs were not that easy, and uh, so my grandparents moved north from Winona to Red Wing, and uh, my my grandpa my grandpa Paul, um, who was always a tinker, kind of a self-educated or self-learned mechanic and and machinist, he started um, doing a lot of machinery work, uh, and then he started and opened up a typewriter business, believe it or not, and he was a mechanic and a repair person. My grandmother, Sophie, um, helped my, my grandpa with the clerical work and the customers and so forth like that. Um, and if many of, well, maybe some of the listeners don't really know what the hell a typewriter is, but uh, before the age of computers and keyboards, um, it was something you actually used to communicate with other individuals on paper. So anyway, <laughs> he... Uh, <laughs> he was a, a, a proprietor of that for, for quite some time. And then he was looking for other opportunities and he went and applied for a machinist position over at Red Wing Shoe Company and was hired as a machinist. And he worked uh, as a machinist and as a repair mechanic, uh, production department supervisor, and eventually as assistant uh, plant superintendent for Red Wing Shoe Company for, for many years, uh, for almost 20 years. And uh, during that time, he and my grandmother were both very accomplished and high-level uh, ice skaters, both uh, pair skaters and dance skaters. And at that time, I mean, um, as my grandfather used to say, there were very limited availability of, of quality ice skates that fit 
provided the proper support, comfort, and performance. So through his association with Redwing Shoe Company, he started to design and develop his own um, skating shoes. And at that time, that's why our name, by the way, is, is Rydell Shoes, Inc., is at the time, skates were referred to as skate shoes, not skates or ice skates. So um, he uh, made some arrangements with Redwing Shoe Company. He uh, borrowed every medical book and foot anatomy book that he could get his hands on. He um, associated with some local physicians here in town that helped uh, educate and, and um, train him on the mechanics of the foot. Uh, and then he designed his own last that would provide the proper support, which he felt would be the proper support, uh, sizing, comfort, uh, width dimensions, uh, and everything else for better, for uh, best, best performance of the skater. So he was able to do that on his own, on his side time. Um, and then Red Room Shoe Company was uh, gracious enough to allow him to um, run some of his prototypes and his samples and designs down through their production line over the course of time and uh, start tinkering with, with uh, new materials, uh, their machinery and so forth. So that's how uh, the Rydell Skate Company or how the Rydell Skate design started to evolve and, and originate. And then there came to a point, quite honestly, where, and my grandfather used to love saying this, um, is that even though he had a wonderful relationship with not only the owners of uh, Red Wing Shoe Company, but all the employees, they finally came to him and said, well, you know, Paul, what the hell are you going to do? Are you going to work for us or are you going to work for yourself? So at that time, he made the decision with my grandmother to kind of break out on his own and uh, scrape together every penny he could. Um, had great relationship with the local banker here and some uh, materials and, and uh, finding suppliers and was able to start his own business back in 1945. Um, we have been in business um, doing pretty much the same thing or the same product since 1945. We diversified over the years anything from, you know, to include uh, um, ice skates, roller skates, hockey skates, uh, men's and women's casual shoes, uh, um, expedition boots, uh, outdoor footwear, but our primary product um, has been and is um, ice skates. So we were able to transition through a lot of different um, aspects of, of the footwear industry and um, to, to the point where now, where it's in the uh, third generation of ownership and management, I've, we've also got a fourth generation that is involved in our business. Um, it's owned and operated, the company is owned and operated by myself, my brother Bob, my brother Scott, my brother Paul. And uh, we share different duties. We have different responsibilities and roles. And uh, as I said, uh, we've got a fourth generation. One of my brother Bob's uh, sons is involved with our business as well too. So uh, hopefully that uh, that legacy will continue on and uh, will, will continue to uh, to prosper and grow and and maintain. So it, it's been just absolutely awesome. Like I say, I think that the the story is very similar to to your company, Doug. Yeah, Dan, it is. It's it's interesting. I was making some notes here, and that uh, your grandfather Paul, very similar to Frank uh, Zamboni Sr. and that right. uh, t tinkerers and uh, very talented with being able to find a solution and then latched up each one of them latched onto a product not identical obviously but uh tied into the same industry and have turned it into something that 
uh, Rydell is truly a worldwide company. I mean, it, it's world renowned uh, in the skates that are used by high-end skaters all over the globe. Maybe you could share a few of the skaters that, uh, that are utilizing your product. Certainly. I mean, our brand is, and thank you very much, by the way, um, our brand has become um, certainly known throughout the industry as a quality brand, a high-level product that, uh, um, you know, the top performers can count on, uh, not only for fit, comfort, and performance, but also throughout their career, starting at the very first time they skate all the way up to their either um, Olympic or world competition level. Um, many of the skaters that we've had over the years have uh, you know, have risen through the ranks with Rydell, anything from their first time skater all the way up to the professional level. Jamie Saleh, um, Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Browning, world champion and Canadian champion, Johnny Weir, um, Jeremy Abbott, Michelle Kwan. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm a little uncomfortable being a name dropper, but we've had some very, um, high-level athletes use our product, and we're extremely proud of that association. Um, we've also had, you know, um, a relationship with many local clubs and, and skating um, uh, skating programs that are, are, to me, are almost as important or sometimes more important as the high-level athletes. And I don't want to disrespect the high-level athletes, but um, if we don't have a feeder group and we don't have a learn-to-skate program, we're not going to have those Olympic champions. So we, we've been very fortunate to be associated with them. And, uh, you know, over the years, um, we've had numerous uh, world and Olympic champions that uh, have counted on our product and uh, um, have done very, very well and been successful. So um, thank you, and I appreciate you, you making mention of that. Oh, no problem, Danny. And it's it's in the industry, I've drawn comparisons to Zamboni. I've always said Jet Ice is the Zamboni of ice paint, and I consider Rydell to be the Zamboni of ice skates. And whether Thank it be uh, figure skates for the competitive or non-competitive skater, uh, to more importantly, probably the rental skates. Because uh, if the skaters don't have a good experience the first time they go skating they're not going to want to do it again and if they if we don't have skaters you're not going to sell your product and we're not going to sell our product so it's you guys are a, a very important piece to the industry we both reside in and i'm thankful to have a company who cares as much as rydell does about their product and making sure that the users the guests at ice rinks are comfortable in the product. Well, thank you. That, that's a that's a wonderful statement. Thank you very much. And to be considered in the same uh, same category as Zamboni is um, uh, very comforting. Thanks. Oh, no problem, Ron. I want to ask you a question. I know I've said in multiple occasions, I, I don't think I'm the brightest bulb in the box, uh, nor do I consider <laughs> myself the most talented salesperson there is. I consider the product that I sell, the Zamboni isosurfacers, to help make my job far easier because I'm selling a quality product. What is it like on your end to be selling the Rydell product, and does that make your life easier versus if you were selling some other product? Absolutely. You know, it was the – I mean, things have changed in the last 25 years. We have a lot more competition than we had when I started but uh, to carry the Rydell brand with me into a store, you know, gives us, it give me instant credibility. Uh, it was a known name. It was trusted. They stand behind their product. They deliver an outstanding product for, you know, 
great value. So yes, to to work for Rydell, it's been a it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. I can always go uh, into a store, into a competition, and know that I'm standing there representing you know the finest brand in the world. Um, so, so that certainly uh, it certainly helps. Rather trying to pioneer, you know, an, another brand that's trying to make their way into the marketplace. That's interesting. You use the word value, and I know in our world of ice resurfacers, we're not always the least expensive. And I am going to guess that uh, just based on the quality that the Rydell skates are, um, that they're not going to always be the least expensive in the skating world. The 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 term yeah. value is that something that you use on a regular basis when you're talking to your customers about spending maybe a little bit more money to go with the Rydell product. Absolutely, and you were just previously talking about rental skates, and, and there's a there's a key item right there that it's a very price sensitive item for oh rinks re trying to replace a whole fleet of skates or new startups and that, and it's you know it's the old adage you know you get what you pay for, you know I'm servicing rinks that um, and Dan can back me up on this. Years ago, we used to stamp the date of manufacture inside the skates, and so I can walk into a rink. And uh, I'll see skates, I'll look inside skates, and I'll see dates back in the early 70s, 1970, 1971, 72. And these skates are still on the shelf, well past their shelf life, but still performing, uh, still adding value. Now, some of them need to be updated and replaced, but <laughs> there was a testimony of, uh, you know, how long some of those skates will last. And when, you know, we're a few bucks higher than a lot of uh, other uh, competition out there, but our skates will last and they'll continue to perform, uh, you know, well past the, uh, the expiration date, let's put it that way. But yeah, to, you know, you get what you pay for. You want to spend a couple more bucks, but you've got a peace of mind and you got a product that's going to last you longer and uh, create better memories. You, you talked about someone that goes to skate for the first time. If they don't have a good experience, why would they come back? Well, our skates, they fit, they're comfortable and they'll wear, uh, they wear well for the, uh, the rank or the facility that has purchased them. Look at the money for it. It's funny you talked about memories and a jarred one for me of a poster or a picture that my parents had in the basement of our house where I grew up and it was a picture of a horse and it had tried to leap over a fence and it was stuck at its hindquarters and it said you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And it's kind of like building a good product and it's like with us. Uh, we build a product that I think is the best ice resurfacer in the world. And the, the downside to that, just like it can be with your skates, is it lasts a long. And you have mm -hmm. conversations with people who they meet you for the first time. They ask you what you do. And they kind of like look at me kind of strange and go, well, how many of those can you sell? There's only 30-some like <laughs> NHL teams. And it's like, how many rental skates can you guys sell over the course of a year? Yep. So, it's it's uh, it's something that I think that I look at it and go, I would never want us to build a less quality product than what we do uh, just to maybe get an additional sale or two. And I, I don't think you guys, it wouldn't set well with the reputation that Rydell has in the skating world uh, for their product. And maybe, Danny, you can touch a little bit on that as well. You know, I, um, I, I can't agree more with what Ron said is that, um, you know, value. 
Um, I'm not unlike anybody else, and I don't think many people are different from me, but we want to have value for what we go and spend. Um, you know, it's really easy and it's simple to say return on investment. Um, but yet, as the example Ron just pointed out earlier, and this really isn't all that um, far away from the norm, is that I go into facilities and many of our skates have been there for 10, 12, 15, 20, even 30 years. And then I get the rink manager say, geez, you know, Rydell, you know, you're $2 higher than our competition. I'm thinking, holy man, you just made $3,000 off a pair of skates with the rent, or probably more, you know, over the course of that time of that skate. And you're bitching about two bucks. And, and I don't mean to make light of the cost and, and the concern and the budget that, that uh, facilities have to deal with in. Uh, but its value, I, I think, is is really what I'm what I want to uh, uh, stress. And um, I want value for the dollar that I spend, and hopefully the the consumer and the ice rink or the rink manager or the rink operator wants that as well. Yeah, and, and that's a great point, Dan. And it's something that uh, I don't always buy the cheapest thing. I don't always buy the most expensive thing. But when I go out to spend my own personal dollars. I'm looking for the value. And if I were to go out and buy a pair of skates or if I owned an ice rink, I know that when I was buying rental skates, if I bought them from Rydell, I know one, I'm going to get a product that's going to last. I know two, that I'm going to get something uh, from Rydell that if I do have an issue, it's going to be addressed and taken care of. And I'm going to be dealing with good people. And, and those are three big <laughs> things that I look at and just go, you can't put a price tag on that. And that, to me, makes it the best value in that marketplace. Thank you. I, he, it was fun for me to go through your shop. And maybe you could uh, walk the listeners through a little bit of what you guys, the, the process and putting things together. And I was fascinated, completely fascinated with the punches and uh, dyes. And I might not be calling the, using the right terminology, but... When I came to Zamboni 112 years ago, uh, <laughs> when I when I was young, um, it, it was interesting to see all the fixtures and stuff that we had in the weld shop. Now we're not using a lot of that anymore, but maybe uh, our listeners uh, who are into how a skate boot is made uh, would be interested to hear just exactly what that process is and what some of the old stuff that maybe is 60, 70 years old is still being used. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, when we have skaters and customers and friends come through our facility, they're actually very interested in uh, taking a taking a tour or taking a look through our production facility. Um, being here as long as I have, I mean that I don't get that big of a charge on it anymore, but it still is amazing to me to see the operational steps that we have. So we basically have seven different departments that we start in. Uh, first off, the product has to be ordered and scheduled. Once it's scheduled for production, then it goes out into the factory floor and it starts in our cutting department. Um, the, uh, the the pieces and components are, are basically put together. You have four pieces and four parts for the upper outside portion of the skate. You got four for the inside lining of the skate. You got an inside backstay, an outside backstay. You've got a tongue and you've got a tongue lining. Those are just the outside component pieces that people see. That doesn't have anything to do with the interior components of the skate to include padding, reinforcements, stiffeners, supports, um, eyelets, laces, and so forth like that. So those pieces are, are, are cut and put together, and then they go into what's called our, our pre-fit and our, our fitting department. 
our prefit basically is exactly kind of what it states. It, it prepares the materials uh, for the fitting department. So we've got to put an identification stamp in it, sizing, width, date code, tracking, uh, job number, so that we can track this, uh, uh, this particular product all the way through production. Um, and it is uh, also marked out in areas of the skate for position of padding material, placements of reinforcements, and uh, ankle stiffeners, uh, uh, different places where we're going to need to put eye, uh, eyelets and hooks and uh, stitching lines. So that's the, the pre-fit area. And then after that, it goes into our, our fitting department, which is actually the process of putting those pieces and marrying them together and matching them up to make the upper of the skate. And um, after that is done, it goes through a, a tremendous amount of, of operational steps. And that's production department only, probably looking at about between 45 to 50 steps to make a, a traditional style type of, of ice skate boot or roller skate boot for that matter too. Um, after that, it goes into our Muller stock, which is a, a slight holding area for the next step, which is our lasting department. Now, first off, uh, to get a uh, skate boot um, or a hockey skate or an ice or a uh, roller skate boot or any footwear, it has to be molded and shaped around a form, and that form is called a last. We've got full and half size last, anyway, from a little baby junior size eight all the way up through an adult men's size 16, full and half sizes. Ladies, we have eight different widths. Men's, we have four different widths, and child's, we have four different widths as well. So just the sheer number of lasts that we need to build skates is a is a pretty pretty large number and a pretty large in, investment. Um, so uh, we need to make sure that those are, are maintained properly. So after the, the uppers come from our Muller department, go into our lasting department, they're gonna be molded and shaped around the foot form, which gives it the consistent size, the, the width, the dimension, the depth, the girth, the back seam height, the toe seam length, those go through operational steps that actually pull and form and mold that leather or that component material around the foot form and then it attach it and adhere it to an insole. Once it gets through the lasting department and the upper is totally molded and formed around and attached, then the, the last has to, or excuse me, one, one last step before it goes in, then the bottom has to be prepared so that we can put cement on the bottom of the skate and on the bottom of the outsole so that when they get combined and, and put under pressure, they're gonna adhere. And there's various steps that we need to do first. We need to put in a bottom filler. I'm sorry if I'm being a little long-winded on this, but it's, it's a pretty intense process. You're not at all, Danny. Yeah. Please, please keep going with it. Yeah. So then after we get the, the bottom of the skate prepared and the sole prepared, it goes through a tower dryer that'll dry out the materials and, and set the glue um, so that it is dry to the touch. And then the next step is before it goes into our bottoming, bottoming department is to put the actual outsole of the skate on. We do it in several different uh, fashions. We can glue it on, we can stitch it on, or we can nail it on. Um, a high-end figure skate is gonna be both uh, glued and stitched. And then the outsole is put on, and then the heel is put on. Then it goes into our bottoming department, which starts finishing up those component pieces that we just installed. It goes through a trimming and a sanding and a molding process to get it consistent in terms of the, the length, the width, the size, and uniformity from one skate to the another. Then it goes through into our finishing department, 
after the bottoming department is completed. And then we start cleaning up that skate through the process of doing the, the uh, uh, production. Of course, skates can get dirty. They can get, uh, you know, grime and dirt on them and so forth. So it goes through a finishing and cleaning process and polishing and treeing. Treeing is basically just polishing the skate up and making it look nice and presentable. Then a final, a top spray with the uh, uh, correct style and size of lace goes into the into the skate. The correct intersole foot bed will go into the skate. One last time, it'll get inspected. And by the way, I should point out that every operator is not only um, uh, responsible for the quality of their operational step, but also the one preceding them. So if they find anything that isn't as it should be, it's their responsibility to call it out to the attention of their supervisor for a decision that needs to be made. So once that is done, it goes into our finish, or excuse me, our packing department, uh, getting the proper materials to go along with it inside the box, gets wanded out of our work in process, and now it gets completed into the finished goods inventory, gets packed on a cart and pushed into our warehouse, and then it's available for sale to our customers. So having said that, and I'm sorry if I've been a little long-winded on that, as I said, but a high-end figure skate uh, can have upwards of about 115 to 118 different material component pieces and up to 125 different operational steps from start to finish. So it, it is a really intense process. Um, there's a lot of handwork, a lot of artisanship that, that is needed for this, a lot of machine assistance uh, that our machines um, lend to our, to our employees and our, our, uh, our skate makers. Um, much of the machinery that we use today, believe it or not, is machinery that um, was in use when my grandparents started the business back in 1945. The machine I actually started on was an assembler machine. It's a machine that uh, um, puts two tacks in the back portion of the backstay to adhere that to the back portion of the, of the skate. That machine was about 50 years old when I started, and I've been here 44 years. So we have used those types of machinery and adapted and continue to maintain those machines uh, because number one they're very good machines they still do the job um, we've got two machinists that uh, work very hard um, on keeping those machines running for us so uh, it's a it's a and we also have a lot of new machines as well too we've got uh, pneumatic machines that are four-part lasters we've got computer stitchers that'll stitch in a specific design um, you know, so uh, we use a little bit of old and new, kind of like you and I, Doug. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm not new anymore, Danny. You got 44 <laughs> years in. That's pretty impressive. I'm I'm trailing you, and uh, I I don't know if I'll catch you in uh, years of service with the with the company. But it, it's very interesting, and, and it goes back kind of to like what we talked about before we started this. That change for the sake of change isn't a good reason to make a change. Uh, so if the machines are still working and you're still efficient with them, that's great. Ron, I want to throw this to you. Now that you've got the completed skate that Danny and all of his workers have uh, taken time uh, to create, where does it go into the retail world? And please let us know how has the retail world changed from when you started working for your father to today? Uh, before I answer that, Doug, I just want to uh, assist Dan there. Dan, uh, I should have mentioned the How It's Made episodes and how they were oh, in our yes. factory fil filming all that. So if, if if one of your listeners, Doug, would be interested, they can Google how it's made uh, episodes in Rydell Skates, and they will, I don't know, what is it, seven or eight-minute video on uh, the production yes. process and yes. stuff like that. So 
So that, that that's of interest to actually see what Dan was describing and and uh, and get a real real feel for it. Um, to answer your question, Doug, it's changed tremendously. Um, back in oh, it would have been the late, mid to late 80s, uh, retail was affected by, uh, and I'm speaking like hockey and skating, kind of as an industry together, um, by Canadian pricing, the difference between the U.S. and the Canadian dollar, and then um, catalogs. Um, people were shopping online or crossing the border to shop instead of their local. Uh, retail stores or sporting goods stores and stuff like that. And now, you know, it's gotten even bigger with the internet. And so the internet seems to be the biggest competitor for um, shelf space. So the buying habits and the, and the changes I've seen from a retail point of view is people are less skeptical to invest in inventory. You know, it's become, um, you know, we went to just-in-time inventory. Instead of having inventory on the shelves, well, I can get it in a day or two. And now with uh, the Internet and Amazon, uh, consumers are now demanding, you know, instant gratification, right? So they want it today. So they can go into a store, they can touch and feel what they want, take a picture of it, scan the barcode, go home and find it online and have it tomorrow, where the retailer would say, well, I can get that for you in a couple of days and I'll match the price. Well, the guy's got to make another trip back and so on and so forth, and he can have it delivered to his doorstep the next day. So. That has probably been, you know, the change we've been battling. Um, I know the internet's been strong now a handful of years, right? So that's been a constant battle the last six, seven years. That retail. Yeah, it's a it's a tough world, and I look at things and, and thankful I'm in my side of the industry that I am and selling the product that I am because uh, the generations that have come up behind us. Uh, are they are that instant gratification they want to have it and they mm -hmm. want to have it now and then they they want to have it for uh, 20 cents less and they don't understand the value of a relationship and uh, the value sometimes I, I don't want to generalize but sometimes the value of quality product so you know Doug yeah. I'd, I'd also like to point out or, or go further with what Ron said as well too Years ago, and Rydell was uh, one along with Ron's assistants and many of our other sales agents out there. We worked very, very hard on trying to educate and develop a a, um, a network of retail dealers that would be able to, you know, um, sell our product, uh, be knowledgeable, be trained, and offer the product up. Well, a lot of those dealers that we had are going away. Um, they're becoming fewer, fewer and farther between. As Ron pointed out, the dealers nowadays don't want to inventory. They don't want to stock. They don't want to take the time to have their floor sales staff service the customer. Um, so that's something that we're dealing with right now. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Internet has, you know, uh, and I don't want to put blame or point finger in any way, but if you don't have a committed dealer that can service the consumer's needs when they walk in the store, where else are they supposed to go? And that's one of the things that we've run up against. Those old-time dealers are dying out. They're going out of business. They're not being taken over. They're not being purchased by, uh, you know, second-generation people in the family. So it, it's definitely a concern of ours because uh, our product is something that definitely needs to be um, serviced and uh, taken care of from a post-sale uh, service point of view. Yeah, it's it's uh, a different world out there. Uh, it's I don't know how many rinks I've been in. Maybe you have an answer as to 
how many of the foot maps that you sent out, but I can think of it in all my visits to rinks across the U.S. and uh, walking into a, a shop or maybe just walking into uh, the lobby where their kids are putting their feet to see what size rental skates they need to have. That's something that uh, you guys, you know, it, it's just I, when I think Rydell, that's one of the things that I think of. Well, you know, we go ahead, Ron. I'm sorry, Dan. I was going to say, um, it's funny, Doug, that you say that because our that rental mat is extremely popular. It, in fact, it's so popular that rinks that don't even buy our skates want to buy the mat. Exactly. <laughs> so, they don't even know what they have on their shelves corresponds with our sizing, but they think it's such a great idea and it's close enough and, you know, their users will think it's pretty cool. So I mean, we sell mats to people. We sell mats to people that don't have our skates. It's free with a hundred pair order of rental. There skates. you go. Hey, I, I believe me, I've, I've used that approach. <laughs> well, I, it's it's funny how certain things become synonymous with uh, a supplier, and it, it's like with us and our machines, it's Zamboni blue. Well, there there's no such thing. If you walk into, it's not like <laughs> Fenway green that you can. Uh, try to get uh, that you can't because uh, the Boston Red Sox have that patented uh, or trademarked so that uh, Home Depots can't sell it. But uh, when people say, "Oh, I want Zamboni blue," um, and it's, "I want the Rydell foot mat to to measure my feet up," so <laughs> you, you guys are, you know, we're we're tied yet again into a rarefied air. Danny, Ron's been with you for a, a while uh, in years, and I. How many people in your shop are plus 20 years uh, as oh, employees? My, um, quite a few, actually. Um, we're starting to get some, some new, fresh faces, young blood in our, in our facility because we've had some retirements. Um, currently, right now, um, I'm, gosh, I, I don't want to guess, but I think I'm fairly close. I would say that probably 40% of our workforce is 20 plus years or more. Um, and 60 to 65 percent is probably 10 plus years or more. Um, we've got a young man, <laughs> a young man, I guess. We've got a we've got an individual, a young man, I guess I'll call him, that just retired, um, is coming back to work for us part time, but just retired of, of uh, 50 years. And um, so he was uh, That's like amazing. me. Like me, he was uh, only five when he started, right? You know, so. <laughs> But, so let's uh, see, you're 49. <laughs> wow, I'm pretty damn. There you go. Pretty, I like impressive. that. Pretty but, impressive. Um, I guess my point is, I I believe we provide a uh, um, a, a good job. I think we provide a safe environment, um, a, a way for people to to enjoy their employment, make a living, um, and raise a family. You know, in a great in a great area of the country. Um, we're small town Minnesota. I don't know if that's different than small town Oklahoma or Texas or wherever, but it just has a, a, a cool feel to it. You got me hooked on everything until you said Minnesota. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you traitor. And being a former Minnesotan and having you're, more years in California. You're never a, you're never a former Minnesotan. Let's put it well, that way. I, I like to tell people it's a great place to be from. Uh, and and it, it's just that I'm a wimp, Dan. I can't handle those winters. And uh, Minnesota is a beautiful place. Don't get me wrong, Minnesotans. Um, don't get me wrong, my mother, who will probably listen to this. 
Um, <laughs> but it's it, it's something where uh, I didn't like cold when I was growing up so much. And when I got older, it just got to be a little bit. But you guys are in a great setting. You're a great company. You're a great steward to the state of Minnesota. Uh, Thank you. I, I give you guys a lot of credit for that. And I will give you my opinion on things if you want it. I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to say yay or nay. Uh, let's go. Let's okay. Go. I think it's a sign of great management and great ownership when you have people who want to spend their life working for one employer. And I think it speaks volumes that you guys have and very similar to Zamboni. I mean, we just had a guy retire that was a welder that had been with us since 1969. Okay. Wow. So wow. I've been there 33 years and uh, I'm hoping that I don't surpass the guy who's number one on the totem pole because that's Richard Zamboni, who just turned 88 <laughs> yesterday, who still comes in every day. So, that is so cool. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. But no, you, you guys, I think, are a treasure. I hope the state of Minnesota and the city of Red Wing realizes uh, what you guys do for your employees and the community and the state uh, in providing the jobs that you guys do. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Um, I want to throw this into uh, you guys' involvement with the ISI. Please uh, let us know your history. Frank was one of the founding fathers, and it's always been uh, something that's had a soft spot in my heart uh, for the organization. Uh, I try to fill your shoes as being the vendor rep, which you were uh, <laughs> once upon a time. And uh, just let us know your company's history with ISI, please. Well, you know, you and I have talked about this numerous times and had some had some laughs and some giggles and so forth, bantering back and forth. But the ISI, for me also, and for Rydell, holds a very, very uh, dear place in our hearts um, for a number of reasons. Um, one of which is my grandfather also um, was one of the charter members of ISI back in 19, gosh, I think it was 1963, if I'm not mistaken. And it was, you know, it was a group of individuals that formed an association that wanted to promote not only the the sport of ice skating but help rinks um uh you know run and uh, build their businesses and uh being suppliers both uh, mr zamboni and my grandfather being suppliers i mean those customers were were near and dear to us and we needed to have them we needed to make sure that they maintained so they are definitely uh, when i say they the ice skate industry or now the ice sports industry um, is very uh, very important to us as as a company itself, but also very very uh, dear friends of many of the people throughout the years. I've actually um, come to to know and love many people in the industry through the ISI. Um, you know that are not only my customers, but they've turned into very good friends as well. Um, I can tell you, you know, my exposure to ISI came quite a few years ago. Um, we won't tell too many stories, but I, gosh, it was over 35 years ago, I went to my first ISI conference, and it was in Las Vegas, and I was um, a little bit young and impressionable. I had $200 in my pocket, thought I was, uh, you know, um, on top of the world and saw all the glittery lights and uh, woke up the next morning and found that I had $2 in my pocket. And the glittery lights were still <laughs> were still up and running, and my father had to borrow me a hundred bucks just to make it through the conference. So uh, um, that was my first exposure to ISI, and um, I don't know why I told that story other than the fact that 
I had a, I've had a lot of fun through the ISI throughout the years and found that uh, the ISI is an association and an industry group that uh, is extremely important to the viability of our sport. Um, and um, I got involved a little bit with ISI. Um, Mr. Zamboni was actually the one that kind of um, talked to me and came to me and suggested that I, I uh, offer up my services to the, uh, to the ISI board as a vendor, vendor member. I think I served four years, if I'm not mistaken, before you took, took over from that. Um, I'm not sure how effective I was, but I certainly learned a lot of how that, that company worked and how that board had the, the athletes and the customer's best interest at heart. They, they really did. They weren't about making money. They weren't about, about um, um, furthering their own um, personal agendas. They were about building the industry. And that is so cool. I, I got to tell you, you, you it's, it's, un, you know, it, it's somewhat, um, um, somewhat unusual to see that nowadays. And I think their values of today continue to be the same as what they were back when. Um, as to uh, making it better for other people. So, like I say, I've had a great experience with ISI and um, hopefully we'll continue to. Yeah, I don't know if your first uh, ISI might have been the same for me. I went to a couple <laughs> before I uh, left my dad's employee and came out to Zamboni in 87. And I remember going to one in Boston that was in downtown Boston. And Scary I remember day. Go yeah, I remember <laughs> going to one in Vegas where it was at the Hilton. And Ty Babylonia and Randy Gardner were oh, uh, the, the, oh. the key, key speakers. And then there was a couple other that were kind of blurry to me in Vegas where the ISI held an auction. And I, I don't know what really happened. And I, I don't think we want to venture down that path. But um, you, you that's and I a path, That's a path left untraveled, uh, better left untraveled. How's that? It's been traveled once and we don't need to retravel <laughs> it. How is that? Is that, uh, is that a, a good way? Good with that. All right. Uh, Danny, um, can you tell us what advancements have been made in both the ice and roller skates? And I've got a note here that uh, says that Frank Zamboni actually invented and possibly patented a special skate and wonder if you might know about that in his venture okay. into skates. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I know about the patent that Frank holds, um, but I can tell you that we've got a, a, a couple patents that we've had over the years on the design aspect of, of, of ice skates. Um, I can tell you, I think the, you know, in my uh, length of service here, I've seen it change um, in some cases dramatically, in some cases somewhat subtle. Um, first and foremost, the process by which we make skates today is very similar to the process we have been using since the inception of our company. Um, some of the design of skates have changed. Some of the materials have changed uh, for both improvement of performance and comfort and durability. Uh, I think one of the real, the real things that, that I look at um, or our industry needs to look at is to how our sport has changed and how that change has driven some of the the, uh, uh, the the skate designs. First and foremost, I believe our athletes are putting a lot more uh, emphasis on um, athletic maneuvers on the side of skating, uh, jump, 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 um, you know, requiring more difficult jumps at a lower, or excuse me, at a younger age, uh, where a lot of these skaters may not have been totally um, developed yet from a uh, muscle point of view and a core strength standpoint. Uh, so anyway, point being is that years ago where there you were doing a single axle, 
which was at that time, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, was considered a very extremely risky jump and a very high level jump. Where now, you know, where you're going double, triple, and even quad revolution jumps, those uh, demands put on the physical body are so much more intense. So the product that these skaters need has to change and evolve. Um, years ago, skate boots design much, were much higher over the ankle up into the calf area. They were made with very soft, uh, flexible materials. Now the boot, uh, the pattern height has reduced to just over the ankle, just uh, uh, south of the calf area. The reinforcement pieces have increased tremendously to give what now we kind of, every manufacturer has their own system of rating hardness and firmness and stiffness. Ours goes from a zero to a 100 stiffness support level rating. Uh, many skaters that are, are younger, maybe not as uh, strong and developed are, are probably in boots that uh, are way beyond their, their capability. Um, so we need to take a look at that uh, material wise. There's been a lot of advancements in materials uh, from a lot of synthetics and microfiber materials that have very, very similar characteristics that leather uh, provides and offers, uh, maybe at a little bit lesser price uh, from a uh, um, uh, purchase perspective or even to a higher price, but maybe the performance has improved. Uh, microfiber materials that can uh, pad the foot a little bit better, can absorb moisture and uh, pass off moisture faster and better than leather can. Uh, padding materials, um, I get a, somewhat of a kick out of everybody says rebound padding, rebound padding. Well, padding is rebounding. If, if it's got resistance to it, if you press it, depress it, and it comes back, that's rebound padding. Um, some more, some less. There's a lot more urethane types of padding being used to pad the ankle areas. Uh, dual density type of padding that allow one padding material to make maybe take a slight set and the other one to have 100% rebound for comfort. Um, you know, so I think the, the process by which we make skates is slightly, uh, slightly different and improved, although it still goes back to uh, um, a lot of the basic, uh, basic practices of skate making. The materials are probably the biggest thing have changed. Um, a lot of synthetic materials. Leather is a great material. It was once a skin, so it's a byproduct of that animal. It takes on, passes off moisture, but it has variances and inconsistencies to it that sometimes doesn't make it all that that uh, great of material to use for exposure to moisture. And that's what we do. We skate on ice. Ice melts, and it becomes absorbed into the, into the skate skate product. So. Um, so I think materials um, have definitely been an improvement over the course of time. Some of the designs, um, you know, um, are going to be relative to how feet evolve and change over a period of time. Um, in my experience, I believe feet have become, particularly on the female feet, have become wider in the front but narrower in the, in the heel area. So we need to adapt and change and make some modifications to our, our last to allow and to accommodate that type of a foot. So um, I think we, we've tried to adapt and change relative to the, to the consumer demand and consumer market uh, and also to change based on what the, uh, the sport has demanded. I'm, I want to kind of close this up a little bit. Uh, I'm a bit of a foodie. So I'm <laughs> As my rotund body will show to, to people <laughs> if, if this was uh, in video. 
Danny, what what would be your go-to food? And then, Ron, I want to get from you because I really love getting up to the Detroit area and getting the – I think it's National Coney's. Is that the, the brand that's up there in the <laughs> Michigan area that, uh, that are yeah, awesome hot dogs? Na- yeah, National Coney Island or Lafayette Coney Island, American Coney Island. Coney's are big here. There you go. And, and what's the one that's like, there's one down right across from the old, I went to, maybe it's one of the original National Coney's that used to be uh, across the street from the original De- Tiger Stadium. It, it, would that is that possible? Or do you not get up into the Detroit uh, proper area? That often? I don't know if it's, um, there's two big ones that have been there forever. I think one's close to 100 years old, uh, American Coney Island and Lafayette, Coney Island, I think they're next door neighbors to each other, and they're right across from uh, Campus Marshes Park down by the um, the new arenas and okay. uh, football stadium and stuff. Okay. But uh, there's not much going on where the old Tiger Stadium is right now. Okay. Danny, what, what's your go-to food? Is it White Castle? Oh, I tell you what, a couple sliders would go good right about now. But, um, I, you know, <laughs> this might be really cliche, but uh, – uh, medium rare steak and garlic mashed potatoes all the way with melted garlic butter over the top of the steak and the potatoes. The more butter, the better. There you go. That That's good for the arteries. It keeps them uh, nice and firm. <laughs> now, now, would that be, oh, would, would you venture venture into that uh, zone that is the city of Minneapolis to go to Murray's for the silver butter steak knife? Right or now, sil- I think, right now, I just love being in Little Red Wing, Minnesota, 60 <laughs> miles away from Minnesota or Minneapolis. Um, you know, we're pretty comfortable um, here and uh, we like it here. I can put that, I can put that steak on my Weber grill and make it as good as Manny's can. There you go. And Ron, what about you? Do you have a favorite pizza haunt uh, in Michigan or what's your favorite food to go to up that way? Uh, pizzas are big here. We, we got probably 20 different brands to pick from, uh, but I, I'm a steak and potato guy. All right. Well, we're, we're going to have to get together for that. If we are ever, you know, can get out of the COVID world and do some traveling and we'll all sit down. I, there's a couple of steak places that I've found in my travels. One is in Vegas. Hopefully the ISI will venture back there and the craft steakhouse at the MGM. I'll throw a little plug out for them for the millions yeah. of listeners. Um, that's one of the finest steaks I've ever had in my life. So well, if I, if we're off to if we're off to Vegas, I think I'd better have more than a couple hundred bucks in my pocket if we're going to go to dinner. I agree, and we, maybe we could top it off for drinks at the Beach Club. What do you think, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Danny, do you guys have anything special that you want to touch on that the the Rydell Company does that? Uh, uh, on a charitable standpoint that you guys do. Um, and this can be edited out okay. if I've overstepped the, okay. the bounds of it, but no, is there something that's special to you guys that you want to talk about? Well, before, well, you before know, we wrap what, up the for, podcast. Yeah, sir. Certainly. First off, thanks for, for having us on. This has been awesome, you know, and this is, uh, this is our 75th year in business this year. So we've got an anniversary this year. So we, we are very, very happy and very pleased about that. We do, you know, um, not a tremendous amount of philanthropic work, um, but we do, um, you know, help out, um, you know, um, like uh, a lot of um, autistic, um, autistic, autistic um, uh, events that we have, local charity golf events that support different children's cancer uh, research, uh, American Cancer Society, and so forth like that. We don't have a an specific cause that we uh, that we continue to move forward on. We try to do as much as we can um, 
with uh, with multiple um, multiple events and multiple causes. So um, I'm not sure if that tells you much, um, but we we certainly try to uh, try to do something what we can. And that, that's that's great, Danny. It's always nice to, and I know you guys. Again, I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. You guys give back to the community, uh, providing employment to uh, many many employees uh, of your organization, and and just it shows uh, how valued of an employer you are by the the staff that you have. Uh, gentlemen, we want to thank everyone for listening into another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or requests to info at zamboni.com. I want to thank Dan Regelman and Ron Griffin for joining us. It's been very special and a great time, gentlemen. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Doug, we absolutely enjoyed it. I had a great time. Thank you very much for having us on. Thank you, Doug. No, Appreciate the invite. Hey, no problem. We, we thank you, and I'm looking forward to uh, when the football doesn't get yanked away and we can see each other again. For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcasts or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters, along with Marty Elliott, wishing you an ice day. <laughs>